Hello, you guys, and welcome back to Sunday Questions, a podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Bracken, and transparently, this is my second time recording this. I just got seven minutes into an episode and was like, I don't like this. So I started re-recording. So we're back. I'm feeling a little bit more at ease. I noticed earlier today that my heart was racing, and then I worked out, and now I'm sitting back down. I think this head cold that I have had for almost a month is really getting to me. It's the weirdest thing. I just feel like everything like echoes within my head and my ears feel funky. So recording a podcast can be a little bit disorienting just because I'm talking a lot and it almost feels like it's like reverberating back into my ears in a way that is echoey. And anyway, I don't have headphones on if any of the tech people out there are thinking that that's the issue. I think I just have a head cold that will not go away. And there's like fluid in my ears. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. We are still going to record and I know that the people who love the podcast will listen regardless of whether or not I sound like Nasal McGee. So I wanted to start today's episode with a life update and I'm currently recording on Monday, November 27th. This is the weekend after Thanksgiving weekend and I apologize for not having an episode up on Sunday the 26th. I realized that given the name of the podcast... I should probably be uploading on Sundays, but I find that if I wait until like Thursday or Friday to record an episode and then I give myself some time off my laptop and I'm like, okay, I'll edit it in a few days. I actually get so caught up in doing other things. Then it's like Saturday night and I want to go to bed and I don't feel like editing a podcast. So that was my situation yesterday. Like I was flying home from Houston yesterday and I was going to record an episode when I got back and then it was rainy and I was hungry and I was like never mind I'm not recording an episode right now I'm so tired and then I watched friends and went to sleep so this is simply to say that life happens and thank you guys for your patience on the chaotic uploading schedule part of me just feels so guilty about not uploading on Sundays and bear with me here guys I'm just like kind of bearing my soul to you It's one of those things where you know exactly what you should be doing and you know that all the people out there are like, consistency is the key to being a podcaster. And then I don't do it and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I really, really do care about this podcast and I really, really want to keep podcasting and I want this to be the thing that I get to do forever. But it is funny when it's like, life still gets in the way of the things we know are good for us. So I'm kind of working through that right now and I try to plan guests coming on and then it gets all mixed up and people have different things going on and I totally get it, but it can be a little bit overwhelming and I try not to let the guilt get into me. I try to use the guilt more as an empathetic notion that there's something I could be doing differently to make myself feel better about what I'm producing. So again, bearing my soul to you, that's just kind of weighing on me, but I wanted to let you guys know in case... Maybe there's something weighing on you. There's something that you know you should be doing that you're not doing. Look, nobody's perfect and we're all going to work through it together. And in the spirit of this being a casually compelling podcast, I cracked open a Synergy Raw Kombucha and I just wanted to tell you guys about it because the flavor is insane. It's the Peach Paradise flavor of GT's Kombucha. Now, If you hate kombucha or you don't like peaches, this is not for you. And that's okay. Different strokes for different folks. However, if you love peaches or you love kombucha, this tastes like the peach ring candy. And if you hear me sipping throughout the episode, that's what I'm sipping. And I'm not afraid to be honest about that. I'm cracking it open right now. It tastes so good. I can barely put it into words. 
I know that nobody's listening to this podcast for kombucha recommendations. I'm not sure if you're really going to any podcast for kombucha recommendations. However, now you get one. So let's get into the recap of the past few weeks. I've had a wonderful last week and a half. So Vanderbilt gets the full week of Thanksgiving off, which a lot of schools don't. Thank you, Vanderbilt. Despite some of Vanderbilt's shortcomings, we get the week off for Thanksgiving, and that really is enough to keep me thrilled about this institution. So I actually ended up going home a week before Thanksgiving. I went home on the Wednesday. That was a week out from, I guess, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So I was home for a week and a half, or I was away from school for a week and a half. And the reason that I decided to leave so early was because most of my friends were leaving on Thursday. I was so exhausted by the marathon and the travel that I'd been doing, the TED Talk, work. And I was like, I just want to go home. I really just want to be with my dogs and my siblings and my mom and Sam and see my dad and everyone. So I went home on Wednesday. My dad picked me up from the airport. It was lovely. We got to hang out. I don't get to see my dad as often as I get to see my mom. And it's just so special when I get to see my dad because he's always been the closest man in my life, him, my brother, and now Sam. And it's just really, really special to have such a beautiful relationship with him because I know not everyone has that not everyone is as fortunate to have the relationship with their dad that I have with mine and I'm very aware of that so I spent some time with my dad in the car and then I came home we had a lovely night and then we hung out for the next day and my mom was asked to moderate a panel for an organization that she works with called Dream they have I believe two charter schools in New York City and it started as Harlem RBI when I was teensy tiny. I might not even have been alive when it started, honestly, but I remember my mom bringing us to the Harlem RBI office in New York City, and they basically were trying to provide safe places to play sports for inner city children, and then they got into the educational realm, and their CEO, Rich Berlin, is an angel human being. Everyone at that company is so cool. So my mom was on the board for a while, and then she moved down to the junior board because of the commitment level. And she's been super involved with their development for almost two decades. And they are obsessed with her over there. She is seriously a celebrity at Dream. And it was the sweetest thing because she'd been asked to moderate a panel with three of the Dream School's alumni, all of whom were first-generation college graduates. And they were, the three of them in and of themselves, were just outstanding human beings. It was so inspiring. And my mom got to moderate this panel with all of them, and she was spectacular. She works at KPMG. I don't know if we talked about that in her episode, but KPMG is a global accounting firm, and she works in their social impact department. So she's been working with them, and KPMG was being awarded for their partnership with the Dream Schools, and they were accepting the award at the event. That was basically what the whole event was. And so it was very corporate, very professional, very like late night New York young professionals coming out. It honestly looked like if you were to go to a frat and then all the frat boys put on suits and then you added in like a board meeting, but the people at the board meeting were super cool and you mix those two. That was what the event was in this like beautiful, illustrious space. I actually have no idea if I just use the word illustrious right. So we're going to overlook that because this podcast is not a vocabulary podcast and move on so the event was so cool it was a very much like a networking situation but it was so cool they had four different 
little food stands, which I loved, and they were all different cuisines. That was one of the highlights of the evening, honestly. And then the rest of the evening was so fun. I just met so many cool people, and it really humanized corporate America for me. And obviously, I've been working in corporate America for two and a half years at this point, but Mind Buddy Green, everyone is remote, so it's very segmented. It doesn't feel like you're constantly interacting with people that are at the same company as you, unless you're working with your immediate team, and my immediate team is only two other people, and the three of us are all really busy, so I haven't been getting a bunch of tastes of corporate America and what it's like, especially when you like leave the house. To me, corporate America only exists in offices or on laptops, and it was really cool to meet people who are actually doing meaningful work that they like and have pivoted from jobs that they didn't like and I would honestly love to do a whole episode on career and networking stuff with somebody who is a quasi expert on that I don't know if anyone's really an expert on it but I would love to have someone on to talk about it because I felt like I learned a lot I felt like I overcame a lot of nerves I had about meeting people from companies that I'm interested in or asking people questions about their career and I made some lovely friends so that was really special and it was also just amazing to see my mom celebrated and people were coming up to me being like oh my goodness your mom is incredible you're her mini me and for anyone who knows the history of my relationship with my mom if you've listened to the episode she came on and did an episode with me on the podcast we have had a complicated relationship in the past because we are very similar And for the past, I'd say three or four years, we have just been the greatest of friends. And she is a huge inspiration for me and really, really takes such great care of me. So I feel incredibly grateful for her. And she also is my biggest fan and is always at every event that she can come to for me, taking pictures and getting me snacks and bringing things I will inevitably forget. And it was really nice to be on the other side of that. She didn't forget anything or need any snacks. But I got to take pictures of her while she was on stage and I helped her rehearse her lines. And it was just so beautiful. It was so full circle to see my mom up there being the kind of woman that I wanted, that I would like to be. So that was a fun Thursday night. And then Friday morning, I woke up super early and drove to Philadelphia to pick up Sam because he had a really exciting meeting in Philly. And we got coffee in Philly. And then he really wanted to see the Liberty Bell. And this is funny because if you grew up in like the New York metro area or if you grew up in like the DC metro area or Philly, you know that every school probably has had a field trip to the Liberty Bell and you literally just get online. It's a tiny little museum kind of display and then there is the Liberty Bell. And it's a little bit underwhelming and like Sam knew it would be underwhelming, but that did not stop him. Like he still really wanted to see the Liberty Bell, which I thought was adorable. So We got coffee, we drove over, we went to see the Liberty Bell, and then we went into, I forget what building we went in, oh, we we went to go see basically like a model of the Declaration of Independence, and it was awesome. It was nothing crazy, I'd seen it all before, I was in an American Studies program in high school, and we went there, so I've been there a few times, but it was so cute that we decided to kind of pull off the road and, and do that for a little bit, and then we drove home and just hung out Friday night had a really good time and Saturday we spent the day with my family and got apple cider donuts that was my only objective of the day we ran 10 miles that morning because Sam's marathon is now a week from yesterday and 
we ran 10 miles and then the rest of the day everyone's like what do you want to do do you want to bring Sam here and here I was like I actually don't care at all I just want to obtain apple cider donuts in some form so we went to this farm in Bergen County if you're from Bergen County we went to Demers Farms and got apple cider donuts and they were phenomenal and then we just hung out and we threw my sister a little dinner party because she turned 25 on November 12th and I told her because I couldn't be home for her actual birthday which is super important to her and I felt really bad I told her I would throw her a dinner party and it ended up being so fun our you know what I think she's my only cousin that listens to this so I'm gonna say our favorite cousin but our favorite cousin Grace came for her birthday which seriously made the whole night I wanted Grace to meet Sam and Sam wanted to meet Grace so it made me so happy and Morgan loves her so much so it was so nice to have her there and I hadn't seen her in too long and it just really really made the whole evening and I'm so grateful I know she's listening so Grace thank you so much for coming to that because you made the whole evening Morgan's friends came both my parents were there we had all these snacks and Morgan is my sister older sister she's adorable and she's really into pop culture so that evening she had us do a celebrity quiz that she made and it was absolutely hilarious to do that with a bunch of people she would just like put someone's face on the screen and we would have to guess who they were it was a lot more difficult than you'd think so that was morgan's birthday and then i spent a few days in baltimore sam and i took the train back to baltimore on sunday and all of our friends were at his house when we came in which made me so happy to this moment i think that was like one of the high points of The break was just coming home and everyone sitting on the couch watching football. I love them so much and I feel so endlessly grateful for those additions to my community. And then I was embarking on two and a half days in Baltimore where Sam was working from nine to five and I was going to have to make days for myself. I had no car. So Monday, I woke up pretty late. Like Sam, I felt very adult because Sam would like come in the room after getting ready for work and he would like give me a kiss and be like, all right, I'm going to work. And I would just fall back asleep. So he was doing productive things. I was sleeping and then I woke up. I did core power one day and then I actually joined a gym the next day and they were really nice and gave me a free 30 day membership, which if you know how much I'm in Baltimore, that's actually so huge. So that was really fun but I was kind of chaotic trying to like figure out things to do with myself and I feel like everyone has this overarching pointing finger at Baltimore being like that is a dangerous city it's like okay of course every city has dangerous parts and yes as a young woman walking around alone it's so important to be aware of your surroundings at all times and ideally have some sort of defense mechanism So transparently, I did not have anything on me while I was walking around, but I was super aware as I was walking around alone. So I walked around a bunch and I was just like trying to walk from place to place as much as I could. And I don't love Ubers. Something about them just really rubs me the wrong way. I'll go in them with other people, but I don't ideally want to go in an Uber alone. So I kind of avoided Ubers and then the next day it was pouring rain. So on the day that it was pouring rain, I did Uber quite a bit but I ended up making days for myself and it was really nice I had some meetings and I was reading and then cleaning and just doing silly little tasks that felt like fun to me so I guess the piece of valuable advice from that experience was that you don't have to do like big extravagant things when you're alone in order to make it feel good you can just do what sounds fun do what sounds relaxing especially on a break like I I had nothing to do I didn't need to be doing work I could do things that were productive and got me closer to where I want to be say next week or next year but I could also just sit there 
and watch Emma Chamberlain's YouTube video and enjoy myself and light a candle and start making dinner and actually enjoy that experience rather than being like, what are a million things I could do? I'm all alone. So I kind of romanticized the experience. And then we flew to Houston on Wednesday afternoon and we were spending Thanksgiving with Sam's family, which was beyond special. I really, really love Sam's family. He has a twin sister and an older brother and then his two parents and I adore adore his grandparents they are so awesome I've always been a grandparent girl I just have so much fun chatting with grandparents and I just feel like they get it and then I also adore Sam's parents and his siblings so much his dad if you don't already listen to the edge of the sticker which is his podcast his dad is a clinical psychologist and I live to pick his brain when I am with him he is like the most amazing resource to have I feel crazy lucky that I happen to be in love with a boy whose dad is a clinical psychologist and is also probably the most sound human being I've ever spoken to in my life. So I was picking his brain a bunch and I wanted to talk a little bit about just getting comfortable around a significant other's family because I really did get so nervous before meeting Sam's family even though if you've listened to my episode with Sam, I did meet his family before I met him, which is outrageous, but it ended up working out for the best. So I am realizing as I get older that I need to be very intentional about asking myself, like, why am I doing kind things? Why am I maybe putting other people before myself in certain situations and making sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons and not so that the person likes me more or not so that the person thinks I'm more valuable to them. It's basically just a mechanism to understand if you're trying to people please or if you're doing something out of love for someone and because you want to sacrifice something, whether it's time or energy or whatever it is. So when I first went to go visit Sam's family, I was like super intentional about setting all of my intentions for the trip. Like I was like, I want to listen more than I talk and I want to ask them about themselves and I want to be super respectful of Sam. I want to let him show me around his city, whatever it was. And I did the same thing with this trip. Sam and I sat down together at coffee and we both said what our intentions were and then we went back and forth writing them down which I know everyone's like what the fuck kind of couple is that you guys are weird but it works and it really worked and they were super simple intentions it was like surrounding both travel and eating and how we wanted to be present to the meal and the company and all these things the whole experience of going to Houston this was only my second time in Houston ever and our first time was in August which if you're from Texas godspeed it was actually 105 degrees and I was so sweaty the whole time but I loved it and this I was excited because I had never had Thanksgiving not in New York before like I've always done Thanksgiving in New York or Connecticut and this was the first year I was going to be in Texas and I was excited to have like a kind of temperate Thanksgiving which ended up going beautifully because it was like 60 degrees which I loved. So I don't know if I actually have any specific tangible advice about getting comfortable around a significant other's family, but the one piece of advice that my mom gave me when I expressed to her that I was like, I just get nervous. Like, I just want them to like me. I love their son. She's like, Kayleen, all any parent wants to know about their child's significant other is that their significant other adores their child like if they know that you adore their child that you respect their child that you're listening to them that you're making space for them that's going to be good enough for them and the reality is some parents are just going to be a little bit less engaging than others 
maybe one parent is more engaging than the other. Maybe both of them are a little bit quiet and standoffish. I wouldn't take it personally for the most part. I got really lucky and I love my significant other's parents and I feel so lucky to have them in my life. It doesn't mean that your relationship is doomed if you don't have an amazing relationship with your significant other's parents or your significant other's sister or brother or dogs. There's always going to be complicated stuff and I don't want you guys to have these experiences of going to stay maybe with a significant other's family or go on a vacation with them, go out to dinner with them and the whole experience is ruined just because you believe that everyone else's behavior is a product of your existence. Like it's not your fault if somebody is behaving a certain way. It doesn't mean they don't like you. It might just mean something is going on with them. That being said, things I'm really into right now, I did a little recap and I gave my own meaning to the different letters of recap to make an acronym. So reading, I am reading Know My Name by Chanel Miller. It is a great book. I had a friend swipe up on my story today when I had said that I was reading it and she was like, this was such a heavy and chaotic reading experience, but it was so important and empowering and I'm about a hundred pages into the book and I would agree. It's very empowering. It's incredibly important. It's about sexual assault. So if that's something that is triggering to you, you don't have to read it. It can be triggering to me and I what I told my friend, I was like, I have found that I feel myself really needing to be intentional about like when I read it because I don't want to read it when I'm like hanging out with friends or if we're all like chilling on the couch because I know the way that it makes me feel and it is very heavy. Still, I think that it's important and I think it is a book that I will finish. I haven't talked a lot about, I guess, sexual assault or sexual matters on the podcast and I think maybe someday I will. I've done a lot of work through that kind of thing and right now I don't feel like I totally have the words to articulate it I think as I get older and really feel compelled to share those things. I will because I know that it's such an important conversation and I know that it especially affects so many college-aged women which is literally my demographic listening to this podcast so eventually I think that we will have that conversation and in the meantime even just reading 100 pages of this book I want you guys all to know that if you have dealt with being violated sexually in any way regardless of your gender regardless of who you're attracted to regardless of your sexual history you're not alone and it's a really scary upsetting thing and it absolutely robs you of kind of like that intimacy and the love that should be inherent in a lot of sexual experiences. I know I kind of sound like a grandma trying to comfort someone, but I think when there's an absence of love or at least an absence of good intentions in sexual experiences, it naturally has an impact on you. And reading this book has been a really eye-opening experience as someone who is felt as though I was violated sexually and also as someone who has friends who have absolutely been violated sexually and it is a really terrifying thing so anyway my dms are always open I love you guys and again regardless of your background who you are being violated being assaulted it does not matter it sucks it's scary and it's unfair and I'm so sorry if it has happened to you and I love you. I know that was kind of a heavier note, so we're going to move on to what I've been eating, which is, seems like a really inappropriate pivot, but eating. So there is this 
establishment called Local Foods in Austin and Houston. I think it's only in those two cities right now. But they have this cashew cheese queso. I suppose that's redundant. They have this cashew queso and it has like tempeh taco meat in it. And they have the crispiest tortilla chips. And if you know me, you know I love a firm tortilla chip. It is so good. So that's what I've been thinking about. I had that for lunch yesterday with a sandwich and it was phenomenal. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend that. C, consuming. I have been consuming Brooke and Connor Make a Podcast. Now, some will say that it is a degenerate podcast. Some will say they're talking about nothing. I will say it feels like a warm hug. I really, really enjoy their podcast. I swear they don't talk about anything for an hour and I just live for it. It's so comforting. I get so excited when the episodes come out. Something about the two of them together is just so heartwarming. And A, I am anticipating my trip to DC for Sam's race. So Sam is running a marathon on Sunday, December 3rd, and I am so excited. I felt so lucky that Sam was able to come to my race to support me. And obviously, I would literally spend any minute in Baltimore that I'm able to. So I'm leaving on Thursday to go spend the weekend in Baltimore. And then I will go to DC with him on Saturday. And we will prepare for his race, which he's actually going to crush. You guys, we went on a 10-mile run. He went on a 10-mile run, I should say. Yesterday, I ended up running nine miles because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to have fun and enjoy this run. And then I got bored after six miles and started doing intervals. He crushed it. He was going like 8.50 pace or something ridiculous. Needless to say, I'm incredibly proud of that man. And he is, I also am so excited because my favorite coffee and biscuit in DC hopefully will be available to me on Sunday. And I just love it there. So that's exciting. Now, looking forward, you guys, because this is kind of like, oh, the P. The P in recap is for passing on. So like passing on, like, oh, I'll pass on that. I'm passing on letting other people's energy or demeanor affect how I behave around them like I am a compassionate person I hope that I'm an empathetic person but I cannot live in a world where I let other people's emotions determine my emotions it's just not fair like I had a kind of bizarre waiter the other evening with Sam's family and he just said like some really weird things to Sam and I and then to Sam's dad and it just made me really uncomfortable and we left the dinner and I was like what like to me I felt vindicated and being like oh my goodness he was projecting he was being so rude and let me tell you it was not the greatest waiter I've ever had in my life still that should not I shouldn't have taken that on like it's not fair to me that anyone I walk into anyone I cross paths with can affect the course of my day or the course of my nervous system. It's not fair to me to live a life like that. So I'll be passing on that. Other people's energy, their demeanor, I have no idea what's going on with them. Unless they tell me, I have literally no idea what's going on with them and I'm just going to assume that it's none of my business and that how they're showing up in front of me is not because of me. It's not a reflection of me. Now, looking forward, you guys, I am... So excited to finish up this semester and I really wish I could make more sense of why. I just am not craving Nashville or college at the moment and I honestly, I don't totally have a clear-cut explanation. I was just on the Stairmaster in my gym and I ran into one of my friends who used to be on the lacrosse team with me and we were just chatting. She was on the treadmill, I was on the Stairmaster, we're going back and forth 
and she's going abroad next semester and I was like oh my goodness that's amazing I feel like I'm just like so over Nashville right now she's like same and it's sucks because I love Nashville so much this place will always be so special to me but right now I just feel like it's so steeped in college for me like all I really do here is either like go on a run get coffee pick up food I have not been out to dinner here in so long which probably is contributing to it I've also just been traveling I feel like I'm always either at the airport or in my apartment and I'm just at that point in college where it's like all anyone's doing is really like going out And I was telling Sam yesterday, I was like, the only thing with me with going out is like, nothing happens when we go out. I don't know what's supposed to happen when you go out. And I remember like sophomore year of college, I was single. I was, or freshman year of college, I was drinking, I was single. And you're like, there's all this anticipation because it's like, who could you meet? What could you do? What could happen? And now I'm like, all of that just seems so boring to me and not attractive. It does not like, I don't feel inclined to go do that I love my friends so much I truthfully I love them more when they're sober than when they're drunk I I love hanging out with them more when they're sober than when they're drunk and I feel okay saying that because as someone who doesn't drink it's like I'm not dying to hang out around a bunch of drunk people I just don't even remember what happens when you go out because every time I've gone out in the past like year I'm like I don't I don't get the hype so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I am, however, very excited to maybe hang out with more people in Baltimore this weekend. I've been enjoying that. I think it's partially novelty, partially just the fact that I feel really aligned with my friends there at this moment. And also over winter breaks to see my home friends. I didn't get to see them over this past break because I was in Baltimore and Houston while they were all at home. And I'm just excited to see them. And like, I just want to give them all a big squeeze and I'm so excited. So that's what I'm looking forward to. 32 minutes into this goddamn episode, I start the advice session. And that's okay. So what are some easy ways to stay current on what's going on in the world? I would say there's a number of things you could do to stay current depending on how much you want to consume. I remember in high school, my teacher gave us this assignment to basically create a news discipline. So like, what is your recipe of how you're going to consume news? What sources is diversity of sources are you all getting it from one side are you going to create an echo chamber obviously the goal was not to create an echo chamber it was to create a menu of sources where there was a variety of voices and opinions coming in and to be honest the way that I stay current on what's going on in the world is number one through listening to podcasts I'll listen to New York Times podcast Wall Street Journal podcast on what's going on but for me I love listening to podcasts to consume it there's a lot of podcasts that will do just daily like 15 minute kind of excerpts on current events those are really helpful another way to just stay current on what's going on know who people are know who's important just going on Instagram finding one account that like you really enjoy maybe two accounts maybe two accounts with differing opinions but both peer-reviewed both fact-checked It's really difficult. It honestly is such a difficult thing to find sources that are not overwhelming or super biased. But I was listening to Ronan Farrow on Smartlist this morning, and he was talking about how every fascist regime has started with discrediting the media. And so I don't ever want to fall into this thing of being like, you can't trust anyone. There are sources you can absolutely trust. It's about finding them. And to be honest, I could probably be better about finding the right sources. 
I don't love consuming content on like random people's Instagram stories and that getting my news that way. I get a lot of news via text from my mom. I get a lot of news via professors, which is a privilege of being in college. If you want business news, the uh, Harvard Business Review term sheet is incredible. I love accessing that occasionally. I love Wall Street Journal podcasts. I love the New York Times podcast. I typically err on the side of consuming the really important stuff and then getting kind of curious about the little niche stuff. But look, I'm not great about staying current on what's going on in the world. If you want to create a news discipline, my best recommendation for you would seriously just be to make it a habit to a few hours into your day, spend 15 minutes listening to a current events podcast, just getting caught up on everything. Or there's websites that will give you the things that you need to know about every day. And maintain an awareness of how it's making you feel because while it is incredibly important to be up to date on current events and understand the context of the world in which we are living, it also is valuable to be like, okay, this makes me feel like shit. I don't want to keep listening to it. There you go. That's all you really need to know in order to find something else that works for you. Also, I find that for me, one of the best ways that I not only stay current on what's going on in the world, because a lot of this is written in the past just because of the medium, but is reading nonfiction books. It helps me understand different backgrounds, different contexts, different opinions so much. And it has taught me to change my mind. It has taught me to reinforce my beliefs when they are meant to be reinforced or to open my mind to things I had not yet considered. I swear, I know it's beating a dead horse because every librarian, every parent has probably told you this, but reading, especially nonfiction or like historical fiction, things that will give you some sort of perspective on the world that we are living in is so incredibly valuable. Next, advice for wanting to switch career paths but feeling scared and not knowing where to start. Create a plan. So you're currently in your current career and you're at point A. This is your current career. You want to be, let's say, at point C. Point B then is getting on LinkedIn, sending messages, beginning to network. The thing that I think a lot of people do when they're well into their professional career that I really admire is they will continue, even if they intend on staying at their current job, they will continue interviewing for other jobs just to keep themselves sharp. And I mean, if they get offered like an insane job, I'm sure that they would consider it. But when my mom told me that, I was like, that's actually an amazing practice. And I try to do the same thing. I love the company I'm working with right now. I would love to stay with them after graduation. I'm not sure if I will, but I would love to. And one thing that I think I've done really well is create connections, create a network where if you needed to leave your current company, you would have people to call on and say, hey, I'm looking for a new opportunity. Do you have anyone you feel like you should connect me with? Do you have anyone you feel like you could connect me with? Are there any opportunities you've heard about within your company that might align with my previous work experience? There are so many career paths and life is simply too short to spend your time complacent in a job that you don't like. I'm not saying that you have to be gung-ho about your job forever. There's so many entry-level jobs that are going to be tedious that are not going to be your dream job and that's that's fine that's my job right now like it's not my dream job but I love it and I appreciate it for what it is I appreciate the income for what it is but I still have these big dreams I don't let the 
kind of tedious nature of some work lull me into a complacency where I'm like, yeah, maybe I could just keep doing this and I don't need to do what I really, really want to do. I say switch your career path, but create the plan to do it. So if you're at your job right now, you feel stable, you have an income, or maybe you're in college and there's currently a major you're studying, rarely is it too late to integrate a new area of study if you're in college into your studies, um, unless obviously you're in like your last semester, then that creates a whole other thing. But there's always more school you can go to. There are scholarships you can apply for to fund that school. I'm not unaware of the fact that school is incredibly expensive. Trust me, you guys. So I think the first step I would take is just reaching out to people and seeing what's out there. Put on your LinkedIn notifications for jobs that seem interesting. Send out some applications. Get firing up on your resume and making it look new and pretty and making yourself feel really confident. And just send a bunch of applications if you're curious. And I think that I have plenty of faith in the universe, so I hope that you do too, that the right one will come along for you and things will pan out correctly so long as you show the universe or God or if you believe in anything like that, that this is important to you. The more effort you put in, the luckier you're going to feel when that job comes to you. So when it comes to knowing where to start, it's literally just starting. Just send the first email, send in the first application, find a career path that really like lights you up, take a class about it, give yourself some credentials and just be brave. No one knows what the fuck is going on. Literally no one. Even if they act like it. I don't know what the, I literally don't know what's going on, you guys. I don't know what's going on. I just, I like being here. I like it a lot, but I don't know what's going on. And I just want to keep doing things that I enjoy. So I hope you guys have the bravery to keep pursuing things that you love that feel good. There's no point in feeling scared. If you're feeling scared, I would honestly say that you're on the edge of something really great and really big. I literally read something from young Pueblo today. Let me, let me pull up this beautiful quote from young Pueblo. Young Pueblo says, unpopular truth. What's meant for you will sometimes feel scary, risky, and new. Ease and calm don't always mean you're moving in the right direction. The biggest rewards usually come from having the guts and perseverance to create your own path. That is what I'm going to leave you with on that piece of advice. Number three, long distance date ideas. Long distance date ideas. Sam and I have not done a long distance date, to be honest, because we'll both just call one another. And also we've been really lucky that throughout being long distance, I feel like I've gone to see him every two weeks or he's been with me. I know that's not an option for everyone, but I did see a couple do a really cute thing where they both chose a recipe. It was the same recipe and then they Zoomed and, or you could FaceTime and made the recipe at their respective homes. It was very sweet. You could also do the classic, like both watch a movie and report back to one another. Sam and I did that once. You could go to, I always tell people to go to Trader Joe's, buy snacks, FaceTime, rate the snacks. And I don't know if I have any other ideas. I will get back to you guys on this. If I have more long distance date ideas, it's definitely difficult. It's a lot of FaceTime, obviously. Zoom, if you're feeling crazy. Once again, I will redirect you to Agape. Agape is so awesome. It's such a great app. Sam and I have not been doing it recently, which we should totally jump back on because it basically gives you questions to ask your partner. You do a daily question and it is so much fun. They're ranging from what's your favorite food to what is one way I could show up for you in this relationship better than I have been. It can get really deep. It can also be super service level and you just get to know your partner better and it really, really does help kind of spice things up when it's been long distance and you don't really know what to do. 
Next question, how do you fully trust your partner when you're long distance? There are kind of two elements to this. So it could have to do with your partner. For example, there is not a shadow of a doubt in my mind that I trust Sam with every ounce of my being. That's because I really did get one of the good ones. They're out there, I promise. But he has never given me any reason not to trust him. I fully trust him. He has the strongest sense of integrity of anyone that I've ever met in my life. And knowing that about him, I just know that I'm in a safe relationship where I trust him and I trust him to go out. I trust him to hang out with his friends that are girls. Like I I truly do not mind. I also know a lot of his friends and they're now like dear friends of mine. So I feel like I I truly have nothing to worry about. But this is obviously a serious matter because even if you don't, even if you trust your boyfriend, maybe you don't trust some of the women in his life or other people in his life, whatever it is. And my best advice for trusting your partner when you're long distance is actually a podcast. If you listen to Stephanie Riggs' podcast on attachment, I think understanding how your attachment style is playing into your relationship is really valuable. It talks about anxious attachment and avoidant attachment, and maybe you can assess you and your significant other's attachment styles and maybe if that's impacting how much you trust them. Now, if your significant other is giving you reasons not to trust them, that's a totally different conversation. You should not feel like you're losing your mind or going crazy or super confused about whether or not they're doing the right thing when they are miles away, whether it's two miles away or 3,000 miles away. It doesn't matter. If they have given you reasons not to trust them, you're valid in being skeptical and that's a really difficult place to be because it really does fracture the relationship when there's a lack of trust. So my best advice for that would be to talk to your partner about it. It might not be the person for you if there is a great deal of trust lost because of their actions. Now, if they have not given you a single reason to not trust them, that's a different conversation. That's an anxious attachment style conversation and learning more about yourself as a partner and Why do I not trust them? What do I feel like I'm lacking that they might go look for elsewhere? It's just a question to ask ask yourself and inquire with yourself about your attachment style and how you perceive yourself in the relationship. Now, I was listening to Alex Earle's podcast with Braxton Berrios, and she was talking about how her trust meter with her boyfriends starts at zero, or anyone, I guess, starts at zero. And it takes like probably over a year to get to 100% if you do everything right. So if you're just one of those people who is just like skeptical in general and maybe your partner is at like 80%, my advice would be to look for the reasons why you should trust them because if you're waiting for your partner to give you a reason not to trust them, you're going to find the littlest things to pick apart. And I'm not saying that you should overlook red flags, but just be aware of like what you're looking for because The eyes see and the ears hear what the mind is looking for. And if you're looking for reasons not to trust your partner, once again, that's when you turn the mirror on yourself and you reflect on why am I anxiously attached to this person? What in my past has influenced this current feeling? Is this the right person for me? Do I trust them? Do I trust myself? Whatever it may be, there's a whole lot of layers that you can unpack there. But I think that having the right partner, trust really is not an issue. Obviously, trust is always something to be nurtured, to be created. There are little actions that can create trust. There are big actions that can break trust. There are little actions that can also break trust. It's really important to be attentive to that. But 
try to remain cognizant of the evidence you have around either why you should trust them or why you shouldn't trust them and then go from there. Next question. Can you talk about the pressure to find a job that both pays well and that you really enjoy? So, as I was saying earlier in the episode, at that dream event, I was networking a bunch, chatting with a bunch of wonderful people, and the one piece of advice that I got from every single person was that if you don't like your first job, it's okay. It's not forever. You can move on. And I think of jobs in the same way that I think of relationships, right? So you have one relationship and maybe the relationship ends and you look at that relationship and you can say like I literally would make I make lists when there's like when I've gotten out of a relationship or like a situation I've made a list of like what did I like about this person what did I not like about this person what do I want in a future partner and now I have my dream human which is Sam and it literally he's a culmination of all the things that I was like okay I want that I want that I want that I want that and then when I said all the things I don't want this I don't want this I don't want this I don't want this He doesn't have any of those things. It's very magical. But let's say you leave a partner and you're like, okay, I didn't like that they were really snarky to their parents. I didn't like that they weren't super into food. Let's say those are your two examples. But you did like that they were really friendly to strangers and you did like that their form of giving love was physical touch. So you want that in your next relationship. Now, let's think about it with jobs. Let's say your first job, you are doing marketing. You realize at the end of the job that you're like, you know what? Here are the things that I didn't like about this job. I didn't like having to deal with clients. I didn't like having to do the one-on-one client-facing work. I would rather have just been typing emails and not really doing a bunch of one-on-one work. I also didn't like that I was working on the weekends. Those are the two things you didn't like. The things that you do like, I really liked doing design for the job. I really liked doing all of the graphics and being involved in the creative aspect. And I really enjoyed the fact that I had an hour off for lunch. So now you know the things you liked about the job. You take those things and you put them into your spreadsheet, whether it is a legitimate spreadsheet or a mental spreadsheet. You say, these are my non-negotiables going into a new job. And the more jobs you have, which is not a bad thing, The baby boomer generation will have you thinking you have to be at the same company forever and ever. That's not a reality. It's okay to move from company to company. That can be progress for you. And you can learn from every single job that you take on, whether it's for a month or if it's for 10 years. And so ultimately, as you get older and further down into your professional career, you now have a spreadsheet that is abundant with things you know you want. And so when you go in for a job interview, you can say, These are the things that I've realized throughout my career that I really thrive in. This is the environment that I thrive in. These are the skills that I've really honed over the course of my career. And when you have those things to point to and say, I know throughout my experience what I'm good at, what I enjoy, the environment in which I work the most efficiently, the people interviewing you are going to be like, okay, wow, this person knows what they want. And they're going to be able to tell you whether or not their company and that position aligns with you or not. So I would say... When you're talking about the pressure to find a job that both pays well and that you really enjoy, I'd say, honestly, like, fuck that. Fuck the pressure. It's not important. What is important is using each job as a learning experience to understand what you want in your next job in the hopes that ultimately you will find a job down the line that you're like, this is my dream job. That's, and that it pays well. 
But if you have to take a job that pays well enough so that you can live in whatever city or town you want to live in and have the means to do what you want to do and you're not gung-ho about it, that's okay. You're going to learn from it. You're going to find things you like, find things you don't like. You're going to make friends. You're going to find mentors. And then you can move on and there's nothing wrong with that. Next, marathon tips for newbie runners, please. What can we expect in training? So everyone's training is different. I will give you a few tips. The one thing I would say really helped me compartmentalize my runs day by day was this idea of the rule of thirds so this is what a lot of marathon trainees have said is that one third of your runs are going to be horrible one third of your runs are going to be just okay not notable and one third of your runs are going to be euphoric and this was a really grounding principle for me when I had a bad run because I was like a bad run does not make a bad training block in the same way that a bad day does not make a bad life or a bad year. So when it got to having a bad run, it's like, okay, at least it's a relief because you're like filling out the one third of your bad runs. So you're like checking a little box being like, whoo, got that one over with. So keep in mind the rule of thirds and also keep in mind the way that your body's going to react to training. So I'm a month out of training. I've been doing more strength training and I can already tell that my body has just like relaxed a little bit more and I'm not retaining as much just like stress within my muscles, which is great. It's totally fine. Um, I knew when I was in marathon training that my body was probably going to be a little bit more inflamed than usual just because of the constant impact on my knees, um, on my body. But having the end in sight was important for me throughout training of being like, I'm training for this for 18 weeks. I'm going to train for another marathon next year. But for now, I was like, I know that I'm going to have some time after this marathon to really just relax and reflect on this experience. But giving yourself the grace to be like, my body might change throughout this thing. I might lose weight. You might gain weight because you're fueling more. That's totally fine. Smaller does not mean faster. And remember that every morning you wake up for training like you are doing something that so few people on this planet have done and it is such an amazing feat nobody is going to remember what your body looked like when you were running a marathon everyone is just going to remember that you ran a marathon and that that is an incredible feat that you gave to yourself i'm trying to think if there's anything else i should tell you about training I went on that huge rant for the marathon recap episode about how you don't need all the gadgets. Get the gadgets that make you feel good if they make you feel good. But truly, you could go outside in the sneakers you have and try to figure out a way of running that works best for you, a training plan that works best for you. I'd say find a training plan that you're excited about that you look at and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be challenging. Every training plan is going to make you nervous. I remember scrolling down and seeing that I would have a 20-mile run eventually and being like, oh, God. But you're making the progress towards it. And finally, my best piece of advice is just to be patient. Start the run slow. Be patient. Don't try to race yourself to the 16th mile. It's going to be long. You're going to be out there for a few hours on the days of your long runs. Just make it as fun and romantic as you can listen to podcasts plan a lunch date after go with a friend and if I had access to a running club that I knew about during my training block I think it would have made my training block even more enjoyable I do like running alone a lot and running with Sam but I think there is something really beautiful about like endorphins New York City the running club 
or um, there's a million running clubs in New York City that I know about, but every city has them, and I just didn't find one in Nashville that I felt like comfortable going to. So I would say if you can find a running club, that is so massive. People in the running community are so supportive, so encouraging. It really is like you will make so many wonderful friends there. So that's my piece of advice to round out my marathon tips for newbie runners. You're going to crush it. Anyone could do it if you have the fortune of being able to run. So I'm so excited for you. I'm so proud of you. It's going to change your life and it's going to be amazing. Next anxiety about about entering the last semester of college this could honestly be a whole episode I think you have a choice when you look at entering the last semester of college like you can't freeze time sure you could try to fill a class and repeat a semester but you can't freeze time and the end of college is inevitable so I think being present to the final semester of college I know I'm going to be really intentional about being present to my friends and the people that I won't always get to live five minutes from, people I won't always get to live in the same building as. And it's scary. It's so scary to be entering this next chapter of our lives without the people that we've spent the past four, maybe two, three, four years with. And I think the way that you can remedy some of that anxiety is really just One, talking to your friends about it because all of us are feeling this way, your friends that are graduating. And number two, just replacing that anxiety with excitement, replacing that fear of loss with the knowledge of potential and of novelty that will come with this new chapter of your life. So it might be really easy to say, oh my God, I'm never going to live with these people ever again. But four years ago, you were leaving your high school, you were leaving your hometown saying, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm never going to go to school with these people again. I'm not going to live down the street from these people. I'm moving on. And then you found these beautiful friends in college, right? You found this beautiful community in college, this amazing experience. And maybe it wasn't perfect, but it was meaningful. And now you're moving on to this next chapter of your life. And how precious is it that Four years from now, I bet you're going to look back on this new chapter that you're going to enter after you graduate college and be like, wow, I made so many new friends. I learned so much. I grew so much. You're going to talk about your post-grad experience the way you talk about your college experience. College is not going to be the best four years of your life. There are going to be far better years, but that should not rob college of how awesome it was for you if it was awesome. College can still be amazing, so can your post-grad life. You will be able to put effort into creating the life you want to create after graduation, and this is your daily reminder that gratitude and anxiety cannot coexist, so be grateful for the friends you made the last semester you have. Let it try to go by as slow as you can make it. Try to be so present. Try to really enjoy your work. In classes, get off of your laptop and listen to what the professors are saying. Try to be so grateful for every homework assignment, every practice, if you're a student athlete, every early morning, every late night, every new friend, every old friend, every trivial interaction where you go, oh my god, what's up? What are you up to? And someone's clearly walking to class and they're like, oh, I'm walking to class. What are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm going to class too. Enjoy it. Enjoy the leaves falling on your college campus. Enjoy the winter on your college campus. Enjoy every moment of reflection on the past four years and 
I wish I could give you an answer where I'm like, this is how you stop time, but it's not going to stop. The end is inevitable. And that's really special because you're entering a new chapter of life and there's going to be really beautiful things in that new chapter. Next, do you ever feel like you need permission to create content? I don't feel like I need permission to create content. If anything, I feel like there is this assumption that you need demand to create content. But when I think about a lot of the people whose content I consume, which is not a lot of people, I'm very selective about the content that I consume, the influencers that I follow, the videos that I watch. But it's not necessarily that there was like a imminent demand for that person to create the content they're creating. It more so is like a, oh, I didn't know I needed this until it was created. Because it can be a little bit frivolous, the things I consume, but it also is really fun for me. And when I think about creating content, I think there have been times when when I'm like, should I ask them what they want? But then I realize that if I think about what I would want to consume as a consumer, and then I create that content, I'm going to attract the people who are interested in what I want to create is really the principle of it all. But no, for the most part, I don't feel like I need permission to create content. At the end of the day, nobody is going to sleep thinking about my content, and that brings me a great deal of relief. Nobody is too worried about me, and I really enjoy creating content, something that brings me a lot of joy and is a wonderful archive of life. So you don't need permission or demand to create content. All you need is your own internal inspiration. And we can all find that if you're interested. Next, how to have a close how to have a conversation with a close friend about a potential drinking problem. So I answered this on my story the other day, but I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because this is incredibly important. And I've dealt with this with plenty of friends and people in my life, and it's a really difficult thing to deal with, especially as someone who is not a behavioral health professional. And I think that my best advice when you are talking to someone who may have a drinking problem and you want to confront it is to number one, avoid using inflammatory language like intervention, for example, or alcoholic. And while those things may be very pertinent to the situation, a lot of people, especially if they're an alcoholic, or struggling with any sort of substance abuse issue are going to feel attacked by those words. And and so you have to be a little bit delicate with your language. Number two, don't make it about them because once again, they're going to feel like it's an ambush. Make it about you. Be like, I really, really love you. And I'm worried that your relationship with alcohol is getting in the way of my ability to connect with you. And it makes me feel like we're drifting apart And I don't want that to keep happening. So is there something we can talk about? Number three, ask them questions. A lot of people are struggling with alcohol or substance abuse and misuse. And nobody asks them about it because everyone just assumes kind of like malicious intent with their consumption. But if you ask someone like, hey, how do you feel about your your relationship with alcohol? If your friend comes to you and they're like, I get the worst hangovers. It ruins my life. Do you feel like alcohol is making your life worse? And yeah, it's a blunt question and maybe they'll get defensive, but it's worth asking 
if for no other reason than the fact that it, it may make them reflect. So that's a really difficult thing and I'm sending love. There are so many great resources. You could literally look this up on TikTok and people are giving advice, people who have experience as caretakers of alcoholics or as alcoholics themselves. And I did this whole video. I think I'll do a part two on my sobriety episode because I just did a TikTok that was like 10 minutes long of me explaining why I don't call myself an alcoholic and why I don't call my sobriety recovery because I was never an alcoholic. But even though I was never an alcoholic, it does not mean that I didn't have a horrible relationship with alcohol that absolutely made my life worse. If you want to call it alcoholism, I literally, I don't care at all. Do whatever you want. Um, I define my relationship with alcohol and my sobriety how I want to. So I think it's important to know that your friend doesn't have to be like binge drinking every single day in order for you to be like, hey, can we sit down and chat about this? It's a really important thing to be looking out for the people that you care about. And obviously it's a delicate matter, but I'm right there with you. We're almost an hour and 10 minutes in, so I'm going to be rounding this out soon so as not to inundate you with mediocre advice. Anyway, I love you guys, but we'll do one more. How to remain stable in periods of great uncertainty. I could actually write a whole book about this because if you're a listener of the podcast, a chronic listener of Sunday Questions, you know that I really struggle with uncertainty. And I have really struggled with uncertainty in the past, so much so that one of my affirmations I try to do daily is I welcome uncertainty and I welcome living alongside it. Uncertainty is inevitable in life. Life is not a mystery to be solved. It is simply, life is not a problem to be solved. It is a mystery to be lived and that's really beautiful. And when you lean into the fact of anything could happen, there's two ways you can say that to yourself. Oh my God, literally anything could happen. Terrifying. Anything could happen. You see the way that those two things are different? One is infused with fear and one is infused with faith. And I probably sound like I'm preaching a little bit, but for me, it's like I could lean into this terror of the fact that I don't know what's going to happen in life, that life is so unpredictable. Or I could embrace the beauty of that and embrace the beauty of this mystery and just live it and live it intentionally and try to be present to it and be grateful for it. But more practical ways to remain stable in periods of great uncertainty is to create familiarity, create routine. So wake up early, go on a walk, eat a breakfast that makes you happy, spark joy throughout the day, create traditions with your friends. Maybe it's like a Friday night dinner. Give yourself and your nervous system these grounding points of, okay, this is constant, this is constant, I can rely on this because you're never going to be able to rely on life certainty. Life is so precious. You never know what could happen and as scary as that is, it's also very beautiful and it's what makes life so heavy and beautiful and special and all the things. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode and if I did not get to your question or your write-in this week, I will be doing another advice session in a few weeks and I love you guys. You guys are the greatest and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening.